Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissime. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 29 One Kind of Death Her experience was a tumult of sights, sounds, pressures, disconnected and disordered. Hermione was swept into or caught up by an embrace, arms wrapping tightly around her, two and two more. She heard Victor say something, but she was too scrambled or his words were too Bulgarian for her to put a meaning to his speech. She caught sight of a scowl on Fleur's face, and then it vanished. Her hand slipped into Fleur's, or perhaps Fleur's into hers, and Hermione squeezed hard enough that it hurt her own fingers, and then the strength went out of her and her hand slipped out again, and she slipped almost to the ground. Somewhere, somewhen, there was agony, right, right, her leg, and everything else besides, and someone, Hermione didn't see who, placed her on a floating stretcher, and then Rackharrow and another witch in lime-green robes appeared beside her, as suddenly as if they had apparated. Fleur looked down on her with care and horror. There must have been a part of Hermione that understood, or thought it understood, because she said, because she caught herself saying, as if it were happening to someone else, Don't worry, m most of this isn't mine. She dimly recalled reading that in a book sometime. That was what a person was supposed to say if it looked like they'd been hurt, right? Her next memory was of the infirmary. And it went away as quickly as it came, followed by a dream of falling, becoming stuck fast, watching herself die beside a march of incoherencies. She rose in and out of consciousness many times after that, her experiences too blurred for her to pick apart any sense of time, and her dreams slipped into the waking world and back with a fluid melange that would have disturbed her had she been aware enough to care. Sometimes she saw or dreamed she saw Madame Maxime there, or Madame Pomfrey, or Samara, or Draco. Victor occasionally passing in or out, Lino now and then, leaning against Adalia. But always Fleur was there, sitting beside her, watching her, not even looking away to eat the one time Hermione saw her eating. There was pain, but not much. And there was exhaustion of a sort that nestled in her bones and seemed immune to sleep. Hermione awoke and awoke, and then one time she awoke and it seemed to last beyond the time when the waves would pull her down again, and then a little bit more, and she began to collect herself. Fleur, she said, and Fleur's eyes brightened at the sound, though they had never looked away. "'You are still awake,' she said. "'That is good. "'How long have I not been? "'Discounting short interruptions, "'you have been asleep for two days or near enough. Two nights at least, and now it is morning,' Fleur said. Two nights. "'It had been evening when the portkey took her to the cemetery, "'and the third task had begun on the 24th of June, "'which would make today... Hermione jolted in bed with such sudden viciousness that she only realized it after the fact, and her muscles ached where they had been only sore. Exams, Hermione gasped. I've got an exam today. She nearly fell out of bed, suddenly lightheaded, but Fleur caught her. Your right, tribe was a champion. You do not need to take exams, Fleur reminded her, though her tone made clear that she understood that whether they were needed was beside the point. And that didn't they right, you're wrong. "'You do not have an exam today?' "'But is it Wednesday?' she asked, desperate. "'It is,' Fleur said. "'But Victor and Madame Maxime have spoken with all of your professors, "'and they have agreed to hold off on your exams "'until the day after Madame Pomfrey discharges you from the infirmary.' "'Oh, that was certainly an explanation.' "'Hermione's body tensed again.' Then you need to call her, Fleur. I need to get released today. We're leaving on Saturday. I can't finish everything in two days, and all my things are in the carriage, so I hardly need to pack. But if I'm still here tomorrow, then I'll have even less time. I know I can study. 
she said frantically, but I can still only answer so many questions and write so many words in an hour. Madame Pomfrey will probably let you out after lunch, Fleur assured her, but to start you should have breakfast. Hermione considered that. I I'm not particularly hungry. I will rephrase. I have been told by Madame Pomfrey herself that you will not be let out until you have had two meals, and if you want to be let out after lunch, then first you must have breakfast. You couldn't just tell her that I had breakfast. I was permitted to stay here for as long as I have, only because I promised to make sure that you took care of yourself. I could not possibly break a vow like that, Fleur said, smiling. And in about a minute she had arranged a tray for Hermione. I can do this myself. I can get out of this bed as well. I'm not that weak, Hermione protested. But all the same, she found herself still in bed, tray in her lap. At least Fleur hadn't decided to spoon-feed her. Breakfast was lighter than she'd feared, anyway, just barley and diced vegetables in chicken broth, and a mug of green tea with cinnamon and ginger. "'Your leg was broken by dark magic. It was not unhealable,' Fleur quickly assured, with worry writ clear in her face. "'But the healing process was more difficult than casting a single spell to mend your bones. And then there were those spikes.' she added bitterly. Madame Pomfrey had many awful, justified and awful things to say about Riddle when their effects were being treated, even if she never said them to his face when he visited. When he... He was here? Yes, once. For a few moments. He left before I could decide how to throw him out, Fleur said, as if the only barrier had been the lack of five minutes of time to consider the problem. Oros visited as well, a couple of times, but Madame Pomfrey managed them. Dimitri. What did the Oros... what did they... They want to get a few basic questions answered. Because you and Riddle are the only two witnesses to the attack. Do not worry. Victor says that Madame Maxime is aware also, and that it will be well. Victor says... She has been extremely busy and only once was able to visit. You were not awake for this? Right, but you mentioned Victor. Yes. There was silence then, but the kind of silence in which thoughts mulled. Hermione was patient and tired, enough to give Fleur as much time as was needed. I should say that Victor has not been as absent altogether as he might have seemed, Fleur said pressing out the words without obvious effort. He has done certain necessary things for me so that I would not have to leave. I still... I vehemently disapprove, you should know. But he is not a rogue entirely, and perhaps... Words then seemed to fail her, and she turned her gaze out the window and to the courtyard which the hospital wing overlooked. She showed no discomfort so Hermione suspected that the new kind of silence that had emerged was not unpleasant for her, but for Hermione. It afforded no room in which she might avoid thinking of what Dimitri had told her in the Forbidden Forest. They loved each other, and more than in the manner that a mentor and her protege were expected to love each other. And this subject did not seem to be one which Hermione could delay raising forever. Flan, she said, and Fleur's attention was fixed upon her as if Hermione had cast a stick-fast charm. Fleur, she tried again, and she reached out her hands to Fleur's, where it rested comfortably and warm. Thank you for being here for me. It wouldn't be necessary to delay their conversation forever. Witches didn't live anywhere near as long as forever. Rackharrow, the vampire healer in training, arrived in time to make sure that Hermione was eating lunch. This was a serving of salmon roulade with salad, some cheese, and more spiced tea. Later, Madame Pomfrey herself came as she'd promised, and after a final evaluation at her hands, Hermione was permitted to leave. Now that she was out, there were more important things to think about, like her exams. Hermione had been told ad nauseum that final exams were not required for Triwizard Champions nor for people who had recently seen half a dozen people violently murdered in a failed political assassination, but really it wasn't as if that had traumatized her. She needed to be, and she was stronger than that, and she hardly ever thought about it, at least while she was awake. 
The curious arrangement of her education had complicated the situation, but where someone else might have seen problems to be solved, Hermione mostly saw opportunities. She had to take the exams for ghoul studies and werewolf studies at Hogwarts, of course, but the Beaubaton delegation had been told that they could choose to take their school's annual exams after they returned to France. Hermione was going to take advantage of that, of course, but she was still going to take every Hogwarts exam she could be admitted to, regardless of whether there was an equivalent exam waiting for her at Beaubaton. "'You're mental,' Neville told her when she laid out her plan over lunch on Thursday. "'It's the only thing that makes logical sense,' Hermione insisted. "'I will be taking my exams at Beaubaton to the 17th of July, which gives me a two full weeks of additional study, which I am going to need, by the way, because I spent days in a fucking wood and more yet in the hospital wing, but on the other hand, the curricula at our schools are not exactly the same, and I have tried to keep on in my spare time, but I have only had so much spare time, and I might have missed something here that the examiners will expect at Beaubaton, and of course those exams will have a much greater oral component, which is not to my strength, so I ought to take the exams at Hogwarts as well, just in case I do poorly in France.' "'Did you really get all that out in one go?' Neville asked. "'I bet it's circular breathing,' Draco commented. "'The metal blowers of Mongolia have this way of breathing, you know, in and out at the same time.' Neville paid him only a passing glance. "'You're mental,' he said again, and Hermione accepted it and smiled because he only meant that she was concerned about her academic record and not that she felt like she was sometimes drowning on dry land. Contrary to her reputation, Hermione did understand that it was possible to stress oneself to death, Fleur had made several attempts to dissuade her from undergoing so much examination, and Hermione expected Madame Maxime to do likewise, just as Professor McGonagall had done at the end of her last year at Beaubaton. Maxime, however, seemed to think that it was good for Hermione to keep herself busy, which was true. Of course, it was always good to stay busy, but Maxime seemed to think that there were more reasons now than before, reasons which she was sure had nothing to do with graveyards or broken limbs. By Thursday, let alone eat any, but Fleur was still there, and if the healers were absent, then the rest of her friends were present, and they were even more vigilant, if it were possible, and she didn't want to worry any of them, so she made herself eat, made sure that it was nutritious, and she proved a little more with every meal that she was completely, utterly fine. Hermione hardly even thought of dead bodies when she reached for a knife or saw someone get to work on their pie and mash. She wondered at every meal whether the riddle that she saw at the high table was the real riddle or just another Death Eater, but that was a completely reasonable question to ask. Hermione might have tried to gauge his riddleness by how much attention he seemed to pay to her from meal to meal, but that would have bordered on preoccupation, so she didn't do that. For all the violence that had happened a few nights earlier, Riddle never seemed less hale for it, and perhaps it only meant that he had been afflicted less severely than Hermione thought— the flames which had consumed his arm seemed dark enough, but when she saw him thereafter, Riddle seemed not to be disarmed. Whether the injury had been healed after all, or he had a magical prosthesis beneath the sleeve of his night-black robe, or she never saw Riddle at all, could not be determined. Long before Hermione released her from the hospital wing, Hogwarts had already noticed Dimitri's absence. There was no official mention of the fact, but rumors swirled to the effect that he had fallen ill and returned to Durmstrang, or eloped with a wizard from the New World, or, more interestingly, and therefore spread more widely, that he had committed an act of espionage and had been arrested by the Ministry. Hermione and Fleur hadn't been the only people to notice Dimitri skulking around either, or at least someone was willing to fabricate episodes that were uncomfortably close to what Hermione herself had noticed, and perhaps tailspinning could not be discounted. Dimitri really had been trying to kill someone, so it shouldn't come as a surprise that someone who merely intended to make up a story might inadvertently hit near the truth. It was still the case that no teacher was permitted to come from Durmstrang to Britain, and so the students were left to manage on their own. Hermione remembered that the atmosphere around the Durmstrangers had been chilly ever since Karkaroff had murdered Mertvago, but now the temperature reached Antarctic lows. At the beginning of the year, one might have said that they sat with the Slytherins, as Hermione and her peers sat with the Hufflepuffs, but for all that they could still be found at the Slytherin table, the students from Durmstrang could not be described as sitting with anyone but themselves. "'It is good that Karkaroff made us pilot logjams, so that we know what we are doing when we return to Durmstrang,' Victor remarked to Hermione when she came out from her werewolf studies exam, which had been blessedly free of butchery. 
Lupin had only described a few scenarios. A wearable friend of hers had unexpectedly gone ill, for example, and taken Hermione to explain how she would proceed, and occasionally interrupted with sudden complications. "'I thought that you didn't know what Dumstrang is, though,' Hermione replied. "'But the ship knows,' Victor said. "'It is a clever ship, in its way.' Like Durmstrang's clever dogs, perhaps, though Victor hadn't quite gone so far as to ascribe personhood to Lugshames. It was close enough to make her think a little, not just about dogs and ships, but about elves and portraits, and even gnomes and jarvies. What was a person, really? It was so hard to draw a bright line. Every time she tried, the border seemed grayer and fainter. But the object of this conversation was not philosophy— Hermione would have liked to speak with him in any case and thank him for all his help, but this business with Dimitri seemed to make it a necessity. So they had gone to walk to a lonely room in which to talk, the same room, actually, in which she had once studied occlumency. Hermione hoped that it would keep her mindful of what Dimitri had taught her about security. As soon as the door was shut behind them, Hermione cast the muffling charm to keep their conversation from being overheard. "'It's a muffling charm,' she explained." It'll keep our conversation from being overheard. I know, Victor admitted. I recognize the one strokes. Hermione waited a moment and gathered herself. How much did you know? Do you mean about him? If you're referring to the boy who called himself Dimitri, then yes, him, Hermione said, not a little irritably. Is there something else I might be asking about? No, don't answer that. Hermione quickly added, and she took a slow breath to calm herself. One thing at a time. What did you know about Dimitri? More than I think you would probably like for me to have known, Victor said. Did he tell you his name? No. The zeroth rule of occlumency, after all. You don't have to tell me that if you don't want to. I'm not... I just... She couldn't help but wonder whether events would have gone better had he reached out for assistance, but then again, how exactly was he going to tell her that he'd come to Britain to assassinate the most influential wizard in the country? It was hard to imagine any circumstances which could have made that news easier to take. He killed someone, Victor. Yes, we were arguing about this on the night that you visit Lugshames. It had been a somewhat a frequent topic of discussion, of fighting, maybe. It is not that I did not know what what thing it was he planned to do, but it was different to see it be done, and then to see as well he had made an error. Why did you agree to it? To helping this, this false Dimitri, whatever his real name is? Did he say to you why he sought to kill Tom Riddle? Hermione shrugged. Some, at least. He said that his father was a British refugee, she said, and Victor nodded. I have never met his father, but I have known him ever since he came to Durmstrang. He, he is on a Quidditch team with me, a chaser, and a substitute seeker when it is necessary. If not for the Triwizard Tournament, if not for coming to Britain... He would probably have become no seeker for our team next year, Victor said, and he sighed and briefly looked away. That is enough to identify him, is it not? I am no good at these spy games, but we are distracted. What I mean to say is that we were, we are friends, and when news came of tournament, he told me in friendship of what had become of his father his father who cannot even practice magic anymore, who lives like a squib, because if ever he is found, then surely Riddle will kill him and then my friend. What did his father do here? Hermione exclaimed. I do not know. My friend will not say it to me, which probably is for the best. Probably it was. Dimitri had asked for help, after all, just not hers. Perhaps it had been self-centered of her to consider Dimitri's actions in any other light. Even sharing what he had with Victor seems to have been hard enough. "'He's still alive,' Hermione said. "'He's with... 
She couldn't say good people, because so far as she knew there was just one person. And she didn't really know whether he was good per se, just that he wanted to kill Riddle. And there were plenty of bad people who wanted the same thing. He's as safe as I could make him, Hermione finally said. Then that is some relief to me. Despite the lies and the other things, I think that he was a good friend to me, Hermione said. He told me as much as he could, and he helped me as well as he could, even during the third task. And speaking of the third task and things that were hard to say, well, there was something that she probably needed to bring up, the demiguys in the room that, however she might not see it and might not want to think about it, was very definitely there. Dimitri and I, we talked a little then about uh, you and me and, uh, and, Fleur. Victor glanced away for a moment, then looked again to her. I did not understand at first, and still a little I do not understand. No, if I try to see as you, then maybe I am perhaps able to catch something of what appeals to you of her. But that is beside the point, Victor said. And he made a short, quiet laugh. You make me happy to be with you, and if Fleur also you are happy to be with, then that also you can do. Not instead of, not if you want, but... He frowned. I am not sure I am expressing myself right. That's okay, I think I understand, Hermione said, a little distracted by her own thoughts. Yes, she was happy to be with Fleur, yes, she loved Fleur, but she hardly knew what to do about that. I haven't dated anyone before. Any anyone before you, I mean, maybe she could just wait it out. Could that work? I'm trying things out is what I mean. She hadn't been conscious of any attraction to Fleur up until a few days ago, so who could say how old that feeling was? I don't know where this is going. I don't know how this will go. It could be a passing fancy, after all, and pass away very quickly, momentarily even, like a spark in the darkness. But perhaps not. And I am willing to see with you what happens, Victor said. And Hermione realized to her horror that she'd said some of her thoughts aloud. I... What am I supposed to do, Victor? Talk to her. What else can be done by anyone? Hermione laughed, as if it were hoping it was a joke. Victor didn't press his advice, but it stuck with her anyway, like a pebble in the shoe of her mind, even as she went to take her charms exam. The next chance that she had to really talk with Fleur was the next morning, before she met with Professor Vector for her arithmetic exam. And there was one thing above all that Hermione wanted to know, why Fleur and Victor seemed to be on better terms now than when she had left them. Perhaps Hermione's sight was failing her, but Fleur no longer seemed to try to disembowel Victor with her eyes, and of course there had been that spot of teamwork they had engaged in while Hermione lay asleep in the hospital wing. It turned out that this had not been the first time that Fleur and Victor had worked together while Hermione wasn't looking. Victor and I met on the second day of the task, Fleur said from her desk as Hermione sat on the bed. We agreed to pull our keys together after we had encountered the Black Tower. We thought to go down together, but Victor fell ill after he crossed the threshold of my door. And when we removed the keys and unlocked Tom Strang's door, the same occurred to me. It was decided that I should descend to the next part of the task while Victor left in search of you. Obviously, he did not find you, and then... You completed the puzzle ahead of me. I am very impressed. It needed blood. I see. Perhaps Victor ought to have gone down in my stead. But I think that both of us might have been too depleted to think about further bloodletting. The night before, we were ambushed by, Victor called them flat marrow, something like... Blood-sucking bugbears, Hermione said, 
speaking very deliberately in English. They had a name in French as well, but they were called Gobelins de Verdesson, blood-drinking goblins, which was misinformative and inflammatory in equal measure. Unfortunately, Fleur agreed. Did you make it out all right? I, I mean, were you hurt? I mean... Hermione sighed, and Fleur smiled. Are you okay now? Fleur nodded, and Hermione sank into Fleur's bed in relief. Lupin had covered bugbears in ghoul studies a few months ago. They were kin to boggarts, but predatory, where boggarts fed on insects, mold, and fungus, anything that they could find in dark, secluded places, and aroused blind panic to send away potential predators. Blood-sucking bugbears provoked quailing, freezing terror. Muggles called them mares and night hags as well, and understood something of their propensity to visit and visit again, but an insatiety of bugbears would alter none of their habits, and where one might drink thriftily, all of them together would drain even a deer to its dregs. I think the worst thing that I had to deal with were those fucking trioctopodes, Hermione lied. Did you run into them? If they were eating something, it was probably my lunch. Fleur would have a conniption if Hermione told her about the Dementor, Hermione was pretty sure. In fact, almost as soon as she'd said the words, a streak of anger crossed Fleur's face, and the fingers of her right hand dug into the arm of her chair, almost scraping the wood with her nails as they pulled back. "'I know that you encountered a Dementor,' she said. "'Oh, I thought since you had been in the task also... "'It has been almost a week,' Fleur reminded her. "'And some of us are willing to discuss the third task not only with our fellow champions.' I have been informed of all that happened. Oh, Fleur said again. But she was saved from having to come up with a cleverer response by a loud knock on the door. Highly placed, too, so there was only one person that that was likely to be. Please come in, Madame Maxime, Fleur said. And the door opened immediately. How many of your presence is required in my office, Maxime said. The Oros have come to ask a few questions. I will be present as well, she added, just as quick as Fleur had opened her mouth to object. Will it take very long? Hermione asked. I have to take my arithmetic exam in half an hour. I'm afraid that your exam was cancelled, or rather rescheduled, Maxime clarified before Hermione could dissolve into indignation. It will take place later this afternoon, after your ghoul studies exam, Professor Vector has already been notified. I should have expected it to come eventually. Hermione said mostly to herself. The only surprise was that they had waited this long to get around to it. Later she would learn that Pomfrey had neglected to let them know that she had been released. Hermione rose from the bed, gave Fleur what she hoped was an encouraging look, and followed Maxime. It was that scruffy auror again, the one that had checked her wand following... following the murder of the Death Eater in March, Auroras Raga. He was accompanied by another auror, an old witch with iron-gray hair, who mostly held back and mumbled to an animated quill floating in the air nearby her. Hermione couldn't see just what the quill was writing, but Madame Maxime had gathered them all into her office in the carriage and had been able to remain present, so Hermione was fairly confident that this quill would behave itself better than Skeeter's. In any case, the interrogation, or interview, as Osraga wanted to put it, was much nicer than the one which she'd had with the Axley and Cornisher. Osraga presumably approved of Riddle's regime, but at least he wasn't dropping slurs and committing illegal acts of legitimacy. After Hermione had confirmed the basic timeline of the third task, keys retrieved, pit descended, cup retrieved, and the important bits between those events, Osraga's questioning turned to the Eye of Providence that had been assigned to shadow her. "'Did you notice anything particular about the way that your eye behaved?' he asked. "'I mostly forgot that it was there,' Hermione admitted." Is that important? Hermione hadn't thought about it while she was in the graveyard. There had been an awful lot going on, but now that she had gotten enough time to think about it, she was curious. The eyes surely had to follow alongside magical transportation, or how would anybody get anywhere in Russia? Traveling everywhere by broomstick or mortar, as the case may be, was hardly an efficient way to arrange magical transport. Porsky did not stick it with you. In any event, we think that it might have been sabotaged, Osranka said. It picks up very little audio from you during the third task, 
So you might have been targeted in particular. Maybe, Hermione said, trying not to think of the muffling charm. Would you have expected it to go with me? She remembered vaguely from the old spy novels of her youth that feigning curiosity could arouse suspicion, but also that incuriosity could do the same. The middle path was genuine curiosity, probably, maybe. Under normal circumstances, there are other explanations, damage, conflicting enchantments, a freak accident, but under the circumstances it's easy to suspect a connection. That seemed sensible enough. Even knowing who was responsible for the eye's apparent misbehavior during the third task, Hermione thought it plausible that the same people who modified the Triwizard Cup's portkey charm could also modify the eye's enchantments. They probably didn't want witnesses in general, much less a nation of witnesses, though it was also conceivable Hermione decided that Riddle's would-be assassinations had wanted to put his death on display, just as Karkaroff had tried to use the eye to show off his pure-blood champion to all of Russia. But Hermione hadn't gotten any help during the third task, and probably Fleur and Victor hadn't been hindered, so their eyes would have needed to be spoiled as well. Should she suggest that to Osraga? Or would an innocent person not be that helpful? Fuck, she'd been quiet too long. Miss Granger, Osraga said, breaking into her awareness with a few words. Hermione's eyes widened, breath caught in her throat, and she almost choked on it as she tried to speak, say a hundred things at once. Oh, God, she was... I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that it was terrible. Asraga reached out to her shoulder, then seemed to think better of it and withdrew. I'm sorry that we had to revisit that event. He straightened and turned to Madame Maxime. If anything else comes up that may be pertinent to our investigation... Granger can speak with us, or we can arrange for another mode of communication, but she's a fifteen-year-old girl. No offense, miss, and I don't think that forcing her to revisit that night is going to teach us something that Riddle himself missed. Good day to both of you, Osraga said, and he saw his way out. Hermione's gaze followed his exit, but she must have stared after him, or into nothing, if Maxime were anything to go by. I would ask if you are feeling well. But I do not have to ask. But is there anything I can do for you? Do you... Is he... Did he really just leave? Did he mean that? Does he think I did something? I just got lost in thought is all, but... How long was it? How, how long was I quiet? The question tumbled out of her like a storm. And Hermione might have kept going, except that Maxime interrupted her. I do not care what your answer is. Not in the way that you might expect, Maxime said, sitting herself onto the floor so that she, well, she still towered over Hermione, honestly, but not nearly so much, and Hermione appreciated the thought. But I have to ask, in order that I can adequately protect you. If they suspected your wrongdoing, at least according to their laws, would they be correct to do so? Hermione shook her head. Is there someone else? No, not in the way that you're thinking. Hermione paused to collect her thoughts. I know someone did something illegal, but they weren't responsible for this. I'm just... You are worried that this scrutiny will discover more crimes than what the Oros are looking for? Yes, that. If they were student of Bobeton, Maxime said. She didn't complete her sentence, but Hermione could finish it in her head by the softness in Maxime's voice. No. A weight seemed to have been lifted from Maxime's shoulders. I do not think that I can personally intervene. My duty to you and to my other students outweighs any duty to another friend of yours. But I hope that all is well for them. For what it is worth, I believe that our saga was genuine. You look troubled. You are troubled. Hermione took hold of herself, let out her breath, and slowly took it in again before she replied, He broke my leg there. Riddle. He killed everyone. Most everyone. Hermione corrected. He killed them, and he made them hurt as he did it, and all I could do was what? I don't care what the official story is going to be. They didn't do that to me. 
All they tried to do was save me. And they couldn't save her, and she couldn't save any of them. Oh, Hermione, Maxime said, her voice soft, her face aghast. And there was a knock on the door, and Maxime charmed it open to reveal a tall French witch. Hermione remembered her vaguely, Vesper LaRue's or something like that. She bore the symbol of the Secretariat for Foreign Affairs. May the Maxime your presence is requested by the equipe of the seals. I'll be all right, Hermione said. And she returns to her room to study. And assured Fleur at lunch that yes, she really was still all right. Thus she went until it was time for her exams, school studies and then arithmetic, and then at the end of the latter she was summoned again to Maxime's office. Well, if the Aurors had asked to speak with her again, then she would simply compose herself better this time, and be grateful that they had actually let her go to her exams this time. But in place of the Aurors, Hermione found Fleur instead. She looked unhappy, even more so than Maxime. "'I have just finished explaining some of the situation to your mentor,' Maxime said. "'Do you still have the pin which I gave to you?' I, I do now, but I left it in my room before the third task, Hermione said, a little embarrassed. I thought it would make more sense to leave it behind during the tasks, since I would be monitored by my eye of providence anyway, and I didn't want it to get broken. I should have learnt my lesson when Haywood, when Haywood assaulted me, I suppose. I won't take it off this time, though, not for anything. But what situation do you mean exactly? Maxime still looked unhappy. October has informed me that you will not return with us to France. The international situation is not right for it, she said over Fleur's expression of outrage. He, Madame Maxime breathed deeply. Laurent October wishes for you to know that there is nothing to concern yourself with and that the situation will be worked out within a few weeks, if not days. That fucking son of a whore, dirty fucking hoopo shit-stained bastard... He wants me to know, Hermione said, as levelly as she could. Yes, I believe that the actual situation would be more complicated than that. Of course it was. Something of Hermione's feelings no doubt showed upon her face because Maxime hastened to speak again. I should have taken you away from all this in the very beginning, she continued. No. I should never have brought you to Hogwarts in the first place, no matter what threats have been held over my head. She took a breath. I can take you away from here now. I will if you ask me to. Hermione considered it. The prospect was attractive, but that had always been the case. Every time there had been reason to hesitate, or if Hermione were to think frankly in the relative safety of her mind, a reason to ignore Madame Maxime's counsel and Hermione thought that she could see the latest reason. There would be trouble, wouldn't there? Riddle had been treating her, selling her, as muggles might put it, as a child of Britain. After all that work, Hermione didn't think that he would just let it go. Madame Maxime hesitated, but did not lie or refuse to answer. It would be an international incident. Many of the British people would consider it to be a kidnapping. The journals and politicians will certainly describe it that way. There weren't many ways for Hermione to respond to that news. Oh, shit. Maxime's eyebrows raised, but she said nothing. What will happen if you do that? It doesn't matter, Fleur snapped. It does, and before I ask anyone to do something for me, I want to know the cost. You would not be asking Madame Maxime as already offered. You know what I mean. Hermione turned her attention to the headmistress. Bobadol may be sanctioned and removed from the palace. In the past, when that price remained the same, but the danger seemed more remote. But this is not the past, and I fear that the danger was always there and only a little less visible, and I simply flinched from the thought of the price of action. I don't want to be responsible for displacing Bobadol. His most Christian majesty will be responsible in October. And perhaps at the uttermost reaches myself, but never you. It would feel like I was, Hermione said. And then, before Maxime or Fleur could say anything, she added, 
it would still be because of me. When I weighed the cost of Bobeton against the cost to yourself, Maxime replied, I erred. You are no less valuable than any other student, and my obligation to protect you is no less. Bobeton is not the palace. It is our relationships with each other, what we have taught and learned, and what we owe and are owed to each other. Those things will survive no matter where Bobeton may be housed. And then when we have gone to some other place, no power on earth will be able to hold that over our heads again. If this school is driven from its present habitation, then perhaps that has been a long time in coming. But Hermione only shook her head. What would happen between Britain and France? Be honest with me, she implored as Maxime was about to speak. Relations between our countries will grow tenser. Karkaroff had killed a moderately important member of the Russian government and had been gathering politicians from other countries that might have a reason to expect or plan for a conflict with Russia. In the past few weeks, Rita Skeeter and even some members of the Wizengamot had all but accused France of abducting Hermione as a child. Neither boded well. Would there be violence? Hermione, I am not a strategist or a diplomat. But surely you must have some idea, Hermione insisted. October says that there may be war. I'm sure that the lines are already being drawn in mines, if not in the sand. The past few months have not been good for those who love peace. Then you need to leave me here. Hermione, Fleur exclaimed. I'm not going to bring us closer to war just so that I can feel better. I'll find my own way out. Fiddle will be watching you, Maxim advised. This is your best opportunity to leave. It may be your only opportunity. I know. Hermione flipped her lapel around and revealed the beetle pin on its underside. I'm still getting it out of here somehow. And I won't put you or anyone else in danger by doing so. I'll find my own way. Hermione, listen to reason, please. If Britain goes to war for you, then they will only have been looking for an excuse. If that is what they really intend from all this, then they will find another excuse when you do not provide. All the same, I don't want to provide that excuse. I don't want to run away from him. Not like this. If Riddle insists that I stay, then I'll stay. For now, I'll find my own way, like I said. It is all right to be afraid. Maxime said, I know, but I won't let him see it. Fleur regarded her. Do you intend to stay because you are concerned for others, or because you do not want to give Riddle what he wants, and you think that what he really wants is for you to leave? The first one, of course. The area around her eyes crinkled, but Fleur seemed to accept the answer, whether or not she believed it. Later that afternoon, Hermione herself had the opportunity to speak with October, when LaRousse brought her directly from her charms exam. Hermione kept a hand near her wand, ready to make a fuss if she was led somewhere that she didn't feel secure, but October had chosen to speak with her on the shores of the Black Lake. They were far enough from anyone else not to be overheard except by magic, but the area was open enough that October would notice any of that business just as it would be noticed if October turned his wand on Hermione. She didn't make the mistake of looking more than vaguely in his direction and kept her eyes off his reflection as well. "'You're still cautious,' October observed. "'Very good, Miss Granger.' Hermione didn't glare at him. There was nothing to gain from looking when October might catch her eyes. She felt well-equipped to catch any attempt at legitimacy, but that was all she had for sure." A feeling. I assume that Olymp has given you the bad news by now, but I thought I had an obligation to speak with you directly. The British government, as you may have gathered by this point, considers you to be a British citizen, and they have provided papers to that effect. You're on the student roll at Hogwarts, as I believe you know already, and your name is on the Ministry's parchment work. Right. I have been asking them to let you return to France, but I haven't secured anything yet. Are they accusing me of a crime? No. Then why can't I go where I please? 
I might be a British citizen, but I'm French too, aren't I? The situation is delicate, October said. Someone abducted Tom Riddle to France and tried to kill him there. He has all but accused his most Christian majesty of being personally complicit in the political assassination attempt, he sighed. And it was almost believable. Riddle has additionally suggested that you might have been a secondary target and that it is not safe for you in France, so if we remove you, then that will also be considered an attempt on your life. This may not be very far from the truth. The part about you being a secondary target, that is, he added, with a smile in his voice that, frankly, Hermione wished she could have shoved down his throat. You know that I was just a bystander, Hermione said. I told Ororos Riga already they were going to give me a broom so that I could fly out of there. Also that you would die in their freak accident. That isn't what was going to happen, and you know that too. Hermione, if we were to take it to France, then that would be tantamount to declaring war. Britain has been gathering allies and making friends since they ended their isolation two years ago and they will treat this as the abduction and possibly attempted murder of a British citizen. How very convenient for you. Miss Granger, you wound me, October said, his voice lighter than ever. You talk as though this were part of a plot. Isn't it? My only desire is to secure the prosperity of France. How does any of this do that? October shifted where he stood. Perhaps he rolled his eyes, but Hermione wasn't looking anywhere near them. I make no exaggeration when I say this. You are our nation's chief ambassador. Britain loves you, and you love France. I doubt that you will be the last word on any matter, but if this country can do any good for ours, or if it considers to do any evil to us, then perhaps your words, plus this and that and another thing, will be enough to strike the balance. So yes, France benefits from this. What if I don't cooperate? That's the beauty of it, Miss Granger. You're a moral creature. You'd no sooner sabotage our relationship than kick a ourself. Make no mistake. I'm sure that you would have resisted all my attempts to appoint you with influence, but now that you have it, you will do nothing except what I desire, because what I desire is peace. And you will not throw our nations into war in order to spite one man. October laughed. It was a soft, short sound, and sounded too pleasant for such an unpleasant man. I know something about the nature of grudges, and I know how they can last. I think, too, that you have the capacity for bitter revenge, and we will both live for many more decades, God and Morgana willing. Time enough for you to realize that vengeance upon me. But I am sure that you will not jeopardize France in the process, so I have won. Which is admittedly no great achievement against an untested fifteen-year-old girl like yourself. And it is safe for you to know it, he said. There is nothing which remains for me to say. You may go now, if you like. That sounded less like a request than the words implied on their surface, but Hermione didn't step away. Did you obliviate me during our first meeting? If he was willing to gloat, she thought, then perhaps he'd let the truth come out. October laughed. You would think I'd remember something like that, was all he said. And then he walked away, and Hermione was left alone on the shores of the Great Lake. There were only a few arrangements left to finalize. You will be able to continue your correspondence work, and any classes that you take at Hogwarts will count toward the work that you owe to Bobeton, Maxime assured her. And if there are difficulties, then I will be very understanding about the makeup work. It's all right, there are more important things than grades. Madame Maxime lifted both eyebrows. Miss Granger, if you ever say that again, then I would be deeply concerned, she said. Are you absolutely sure about this? Hermione nodded. It's pretty clear what might happen if I leave in the wrong way. You said that there might be a war over this. I don't want anyone else to die for me. 
It was hard enough to bear the memory of the white robes in the graveyard, whose names she didn't even know. I will lobby every day for your safe return, Miss Granger. This state of affairs cannot persist forever. Hermione agreed, but perhaps not for the same reason. October had spent at least as long preparing for this as he had for the tournament itself. Hermione was sure of it. And she wasn't going to beat him in a day. But she was going to escape this country somehow, and she wouldn't start a war to do it. Fleur was extremely unhappy with Hermione's decision. Even after Hermione laid out her reasoning, but they were perhaps both a little hypocritical like that, willing to accept risks and upsets that they both considered unacceptable for the other. But Hermione just needed to find a way out of Britain and make sure that she was clearly doing so on her own initiative, and not as a nefarious plot. Just asking to leave was a good option, and if the worst came to the worst... Then she knew enough about muckles, mostly the French kind, but still, to reach and hide in a shipping crate bound for France. Hundreds of ships passed through the Strait of Calais every day, and Riddle's people wouldn't monitor most of that traffic, she was pretty sure. Muggles were too far beneath them. That evening Hermione took to the library. It wasn't yet clear what her summertime accommodations would look like but she was on the rolls as a Hogwarts student, and four years of a perfect record, entirely free of late or damaged returns, entitled her to borrow a few books over the summer. After Hermione had spent nearly an hour flipping through the card catalog and pulling books from shelves, she settled down at a table to begin her reading. Hermione had read about Riddle earlier in the year and learned many interesting things about him, but little that was important. It was not enough to just read about him to satisfy her curiosity. She had to study Riddle like she studied occlumency, like her life depended on it, like many lives depended on it. Riddle had waged war once and was altogether too willing to threaten war again, and it was not out of the question that he might repeat the gambit. It was not out of the question that he wasn't bluffing. With ink and parchment before her, and flanked by books on either side of her, Hermione set down the first and most important of them. A thin book, or a thick pamphlet, called The Last Enemy. It might also have been called The Last Text, because Riddle had published nothing outside speeches and letters since it had been released ten years ago. The Death Eater is not a person. It is not even an idea. It is not something which anyone is or which anyone knows or thinks or believes in. If the Death Eater were anything like that, then it would be a thing that could die or be destroyed. But no one can destroy the Death Eater, because it is not there to be destroyed. You could just as soon try to destroy a spell by disarming me as I cast it from my wand. But the same spell could be cast again from my wand or anyone else's. You must understand that the Death Eater is an action, a process, which is, here and there, temporarily instantiated in certain bodies under certain circumstances. It is a ritual, and the product of that ritual, and whenever the Death Eater is summoned, you will find that it is yourself that has been summoned. The Death Eater is a body without organs, which cannot be destroyed, because it is not there to be destroyed. Almost on their own, Hermione's thoughts turned from Death Eaters to their author himself and then back again, and she looked at the books that she had prepared. Riddle, A Study in Revolution, Conversations with Riddle, The Political Career of Tom Riddle, Riddle was important, but he wasn't the whole story. Riddle had been the spark, and maybe some of the fuel, but he was not the fire. The movement wasn't about him. Like the international politicking wasn't about her, both of them, Hermione and Riddle alike, were flesh-and-bone creatures, but they were symbols, too. Hermione returned to the shelves. The next morning, the remaining students from Durmstrang departed first. 
She stood once more by the black lake to see them off, her and Samara and a few other students, mostly Slytherins from Hogwarts. The atmosphere was somber. Impossible as it was to ignore that the ship was down one captain and a crew member, and they were set to sail into an uncertain future for their school. Hermione and Victor kissed as they said their goodbyes, and then she stepped off the gangplank. The ship slowly descended beneath the surface, keel and deck and mast, and then it was gone. When it came time for the Volbatonis to leave as well, everything proceeded more or less as could be expected at first. She said farewell to Lino, promised to read a novel that Samara had found in the library, and Fleur was the last that she spoke with. They embraced. Hermione wrapped tightly in her hug, and Fleur gave her a light kiss on both cheeks, nothing dramatic, nothing even inappropriate for such a relationship as theirs, and yet, and yet. The world froze for a moment, but Hermione had never felt more heated. She was at a precipice, torn apart inside, every bit of her pulling in a different direction as she thought as she could not help but think about what she had been told, what she had been brought to realize about Fleur. And she could make a decision. No, she had to decide. No could about it. To not do something was a choice, too. Hermione had done plenty of dumb things, and maybe a few brave ones, but this might be the dumbest, bravest thing she was ever going to do. Quickly, before she could talk herself out of it, Hermione bounced up on the tips of her toes and kissed Fleur on the lips, or tried to. Hermione might have gotten the side of Fleur's mouth. She wasn't sure. She had already turned her face away from Fleur, blushing fiercely, embarrassed and uncertain. She had used up all her bravery in that one gesture and had none left over to look at Fleur's reaction. You, you, you don't have to say anything or do anything. I, I just, I'm sure that it's a very complicated for you, but I, I don't know when I'm going to see you again, Hermione said the words rushing past her lips so quickly that she could hardly stay on top of them. And, 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 and I realized I couldn't bear to deal with that without saying something, doing something, and I understand. Hermione stopped, frozen again, when she felt Fleur's lips brush the crown of her head, and Fleur's fingers slip around her own and squeeze them. Complicated, yeah, Fleur agreed. But we are intelligent witches. I think that we can figure something out. There's, uh, something else that we should probably discuss as well. I, I mean, someone else, Hermione said. S something, someone I... Victor and you and me and us, Hermione wanted to and couldn't spit out. Fleur sighed and possibly muttered a prayer or malediction under her breath. We will certainly have much to write about. Her other hand came to rest on Hermione's shoulder, pressing down just enough to nudge Hermione a little further in Fleur's direction, and Hermione's head almost came to rest against Fleur's shoulder, almost. You will write, Fleur said, neither asking for confirmation nor demanding the service, but stating, recognizing that it was so. I will do so also. It took an effort for Hermione to move away, but she did anyway, lest Fleur think that she was anxious, apprehensive, afraid to stay behind, not just a flutter, lest Fleur be too concerned. Hermione smiled to her, and at length Fleur went into the carriage, and only one other remained outside. It is not too late for you to reconsider? Madame Maxime said to her. We will leave as soon as I can enter, and you can go ahead of me. We are not too far from the coast, and we can reach the sea before the British Ministry is able to do anything. I'll be all right. Hermione, listen to me. You told me what he has done to you. It must be clear to you what kind of wizard he is, in whose power you are putting yourself. We talked about this. He won't kill me. But think about what they can do. 
what he may do. That is short of death, Maxime said. And her tone was closer to pleading than Hermione had ever heard it. I took it before, Hermione assured her. I can take it again. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Dayswitch under a Creative Commons license with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at sangabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.